first of all, I want to say that I don't usually do this. So. And second, uh, I'm so glad that I got married back in Romania. I've heard about your traditions and <laughs> yeah, dodge that. Uh, without further ado, I would like to pray before sharing my testimony. So, our Father who are in heaven, we sanctify your name in this place. Lord, let your will be done in this church tonight as it is in heaven. Amen. Uh, so, my name is Yosef, and together with my wife Camelia and my baby Yosef, we have been lovingly welcomed into this church family, so we want to say thank you for receiving us with such warmth in this spiritual home. You are a shelter for pilgrims like ourselves, where we can grow and be protected by the Lord and hopefully serve His purpose for the kingdom in Northern Ireland. God bless you all. When Pastor Rhys messaged me asking if I am happy to share uh, something on Father's Day, I got thrilled. Although, as I said, I'm not usually keen on speaking to crowds, and my accent sounds funny, I know it's a, it's a truth, uh, I, I knew I had two amazing fathers to talk about. Uh, so, I was born in Romania in 1993, and that was a dark place. Most of you probably know two things about Romania. Yeah, that there, are, there were inhumane orphanages, and there was extreme poverty. So, in 93 alone, just to put it into perspective, 800,000 abortions took place in Romania. So I can say that even the fact that I was born, it's just winning the lottery, you know? And although I am blessed and I, I was born in a family of two parents and I got born, at the age of three, my father uh, sat me down and he said, son, from now on, you are the man of the house. Thinking back, and saying it out loud sounds brutal. But he had no choice. My younger sister got born with a congenital disease, and both my parents' monthly wage was spent on medical expenses. And just to give you a, a, an idea, that was around 300 US dollars. So uh, my dad bought a holiday package to Malta, where he flew and remained illegally. And two years after, he crossed the Mediterranean Sea to Italy, hidden in a container on a boat. For the next 11 years, my dad was only an offshore bank and a voice in the telephone twice a week when he could afford to call back home. Over the years, he would get back in Romania from time to time, but only after he got his paperwork sorted and just a more stable situation. This is my story, but also the story of my generation, millions of children raised by their grandparents or their mothers alone. This is an untold phase of migration. This is what stays behind. Why did I choose to share this story tonight? I want to say that even though I had a loving biological father, I sort of grew up without a father in some senses. Um, there was no masculine role around for simple stuff like teaching me how to ride a bike, or just being there when I got hurt, or being bullied. There was no spiritual role model, no male priest in the house to lead us and intercede for us as kids. And don't get me wrong, I love my father with all my being. And I am infinitely grateful for the supreme sacrifices made for me and my sister. But growing up, there was a void in me, and my heavenly father needed to heal it and to teach me how it is to have a father in order to be able to have a personal relationship with him. 
My dad chose to get back from Italy when I was 14, 15, because he realized that there was a very short window of opportunity to sow into my life and to influence me. And oh God, I'm so thankful for this. Truly am I. Thank you, God. When my dad came back, he was a stranger. But during his time in Italy, he has received Jesus in his life. So when he came back, even though I was away and astray, he influenced my life deeply. So many memories of me arriving home at 3, 4 a.m. in awful states, and my dad diligently every morning opening my door at 5 a.m. and praying over me before leaving for work. I, I still have those on my retina. See, as human beings, we design words to represent physical objects or actions or abstract ideas to facilitate communication and to help us understand each other. We have roughly 350,000 words in English. Most of them are neologisms. But I believe when God created the world through the word, he also provided to Adam's mind a list of fundamental concepts. I believe God himself coined the meaning of the word father. In the coming five minutes, I want to present shortly what our Heavenly Father has taught me about His parental nature and why we need to heal and fill a gap left by corruption and sin and teach me what He meant for a father to be. You see, Adam had no biological parents. He wasn't born nor raised by any human beings. And it feels even weird to think of this. We don't know if he was ever a little boy or how to measure the, little of a, the, the life of a creature which was not meant to die. From the very beginning of the Bible, we can see that God exhibits fatherly characteristics in the creation of Adam. Genesis 1, 26-27 describes God creating humankind in his own image. In Genesis 2, 7, God forms Adam from the dust of the ground and breathes the breath of life into him, hence the same essence. In the Old Testament, the fatherly attributes of God are expressed through the relationship between him and the Israelites. In Exodus 4, 22, the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. God leads, protects, and disciplines the Israelites as a father would do for his child. The book of Deuteronomy refers to God as a father who disciplines his children, Deuteronomy 8.5, and as a father who carries his child, Deuteronomy 1.31. In the Psalms, we see a fatherly aspect of God in his compassion and care for his people. Psalm 103 verse 13 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God's fatherly attributes are depicted as steadfast love, protection, and guidance. For example, Psalm 68.5 refers to God as father to the fatherless and the defender of widows. This demonstrates his commitment to protect and care for the vulnerable and those without earthly fathers beyond physical limitations and humane incapacities. Malachi 1.6 is a reminder for us as believers to maintain a reverent and devoted relationship with God, our Heavenly Father and Master. It calls for the appropriate respect, obedience and worship rightfully due to Him. The passage serves as a lesson for believers to hold a deep understanding of the fatherly role of God and to honor and respect Him in all aspects of their lives, from worship to everyday actions. 
Additionally, the prophet Isaiah speaks of God's fatherly love in Isaiah 63:16, saying, You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. And Isaiah 64, 8, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are the work of your hand. In the New Testament, Jesus expands the concept of God's fatherly attributes. By teaching his followers to pray to God, not as Yahweh, Lord, but as our Father in Matthew 6, 9. And speaking of God as his own Father. Through Jesus, we see the development of a more personal and intimate understanding of God as Father. Matthew 12, 50 says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Such an intimate relationship. In the parable of the prodigal son, we witness another demonstration of God's fatherly attributes. This parable portrays a loving father who forgives his wayward son and joyfully welcomes him home. This illustrates God's grace, mercy and willingness to forgive those who repent and return to him. Paul's epistles further develop the concept of God as our father. He writes that believers have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry Abba, meaning father, emphasizing the intimate relationship between believers and God that is similar to a father and child. Furthermore, in Ephesians 1, 13, 14, Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance, emphasizing the eternal blessing and promises of God are assured through the faith in Jesus Christ. This inheritance, which begins as a physical promise to the Israelites in the Old Testament, involves evolves into an eternal offer of salvation, righteousness, and unending communion with God through faith in Jesus Christ. As I reach the conclusion of this testimony, I find myself moved by the interwoven themes of a father's unwavering commitment and sacrifices, as illustrated through my own life story and the profound importance of our Heavenly Father in our spiritual journey. Delving into these ideas allows me, and hopefully you as well, to truly appreciate the diverse and vital roles that fathers plays in our life, from guiding and nurturing to upholding and defending their children. My personal story, which I have shared with you, highlights the impact of a loving biological father who went to incredible lengths to provide for his family, even at the cost of physical separation. This only serves to emphasize the importance of fathers in meeting not only material needs, but also emotional and spiritual ones. As I reflect on my experiences with my father, I am compelled to explore the intricate, multidimensional relationship we all share with God as our perfect Heavenly Father. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we encounter numerous examples of God's fatherly attributes encompassing his love, care, and protection for his people. <clears throat> From the creation of humankind and the guidance of the Israelites, in the teachings of Jesus, emphasizing a more intimate connection with God, we are consistently reminded of our heavenly Father's ever-present embrace. Ensuring 
my hope is for all of you, all of us to reflect and be grateful for both our relationships with our earthly fathers and our heavenly father by recognizing the immensity of love, guidance and sacrifices that both have provided. We can strive to mirror their love, wisdom and unwavering devotion in our own lives. In doing so, we can contribute to the growth of God's kingdom and nurture our spiritual family further. And one last thing, uh, we have an inheritance. When Jesus left, he says that he's going to prepare a mansion for us, and this is the best thing which can happen. So we have the best promises from our Father. It's our church, it's, it's an immense privilege um, to be speaking to you today on Father's Day. Um, it's a tremendous privilege because being a father is a tremendous privilege. It literally tells me in Psalm 120 that what, what we have in the form of children, they are gifts from God. They are a reward from him. And Alas was actually born eight days. Alas is our wee boys. He's about nine and a half months. He was born eight days after our one year anniversary of marriage. And when we got, when we got married, um, I hadn't envisioned having a child as, as, as quickly as that. That doesn't mean he was an accident, by the way, he wasn't, but... Um, <laughs> This is recorded. One day Rebecca's going to show him this. <laughs> but um, yeah, I want to. I want to be honest because I know a lot of um, people will have experienced this or will will go through it. And sort of, I hadn't really envisioned having children quickly. And and if I'm honest, I was I was a little bit against it. And then I took some time and and I asked God, should we have kids? When when should we have kids? I spent that time with God and, and often when we ask kind of these specific questions like this, um, we it, we don't always get a response or not often the response that we expect. But I really felt that God was telling me that I already knew the answer. And that sounds strange, but um, I'll, it'll become more clear as, as we continue. You see, in this season of our lives that, that we were in, just, just newly married and obviously serving in the church and, and, and as things were, what was going to glorify God? What was going to glorify him in that season? And for us, the answer was having kids. It was having children. And, and tonight, I was nearly going to title this as, Is This the Right Time? But I felt it going in a bit of a different direction. But I do want to quickly talk about um, this process because it's been a bit of a theme uh, running through the church. This, this idea of decision making. And a few weeks ago, we had the conversation looking at decisions, decisions, decisions. And, and as I said, I, I, I wasn't really sure what to do at, at that point in my life. And, and I, I decided to ask God and, and, and what I want to encourage you to do, church, just to begin with is when you have a decision to make, include God in the conversation. Too often we consider the practical and we forget about the spiritual and, and, and Yusuf touched, touched on that too. God may have something specific to speak into your circumstance, but you need to speak to him and you need to listen for him. Often, um, 
We begin to understand when we look back at our lives that God has a plan for our lives. He has it mapped out. He has us here on purpose and for a purpose. And we need to speak to him and we need to listen for him. We need to be in communication with God. Church, we need to include him in the conversation. There's too many decisions that we make in our lives that, that, that often we just weigh up all of the practical things and, and Pastor Matt said a few weeks ago when we are talking about decisions if you feel like God is speaking to you then look for confirmation begin with his word seek wise counsel and pray continually but church all that being said I do think that sometimes we are in, da- we are in danger of over spiritualizing every decision and, and that sounds bad but let me clarify what I mean by that because I feel that God often gives very clear instruction in his word and we're waiting for something outside of that. And, and yes, God, God gives people dreams and visions and, 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 and prophecy and words of knowledge. And somebody might speak specifically into your life. But first and foremost, he gives us his word. And it often gives us very clear instruction for life. And, and for the majority of things, it's, it's not too difficult to discern which decision glorifies God most. What's the godly thing to do here? And so when I mentioned about having kids earlier, I felt that God was saying that I already knew the answer. And that's because my excuses were weak and and I wasn't including God in the conversation. It, it was things like, but, but, the, but the house isn't ready and, and we don't have this much saved and, and we, we, um, you know, we haven't got to go to this place or, or meet this goal. And, and, in that season, none of that was really good enough. The first great commission given to mankind was to be fruitful and to multiply. The Bible describes children as a gift from God. And Jesus wants the little children to come to him. So the conclusion that I came to is why wouldn't I? But what I want to encourage you with as well, church, is that um, wisdom and faith work together one does not extinguish the other i think too often when making difficult life changing decisions we we hide behind this phrase of you have to apply wisdom and i'm not telling you not to do that the bible tells us very clearly that we are to yearn for wisdom of course we are but what we aren't to do is use it as a faith extinguisher Wisdom is knowing God and trusting him, trusting his word and trusting him with your entire life. Include him in the decisions, include him in the everyday, include him in the conversation. So of course we have to apply wisdom but we also aren't to hide behind it and we aren't to stop doing what God would tell us to do. It's not a barrier. Wisdom is not a barrier, church. It's a bridge. It will, it, will get us, it will get us to where God wants us to be. So if I'm to trust God with my entire life, what does that look like? And, and this is a question I ask myself, and there's a few areas here that I want to cover in the few minutes that we have together. But I want to pray, church, and then we'll begin to look at God's word.
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking into our circumstances and our seasons, God. Thank you, Lord, that you're in control. Thank you, God, for our children. Thank you, Lord, that you give us this immense privilege, that you give us these gifts. And tonight, God, as we would, as we would begin to look at your word, Lord, would you help us to understand what it is that you're saying to us in this season right now? It's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. So if I'm to trust God with my entire life, what does that look like? Some areas that we can highlight. To trust him with time. And in Ecclesiastes 3, 1, it tells us that there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. You, you might have heard this verse before. It's a really famous verse. This verse goes on to make 14 contrasting statements, different statements about different events that we encounter in life. And, and the point of all of that is to help us understand that time is indeed in God's hands. If you want to apply wisdom, then look at this verse and understand that it is all in his hands. Know that he has mapped it out and know that there is a time for everything. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not his own already. God is in control and we need wisdom to trust that and apply it. And, and often we'll say, I don't have time. And do you know what? See, today I had nothing but time. Because see, last night Elias decided that he did not want to sleep. And he does this just before Rebecca and I are... If we're facing a busy day, what he'll do is the night before, he'll just make sure that we have enough hours to prepare for it so it keep us up the entire night. So this is what happened last night. And so I decided at 5 a.m. that I was giving up and I brought him downstairs. All I had was time. So I had time to think about this. But we often say that we don't have time. But then we can talk about whatever the latest show is that we're watching. We'll post our latest excursions online. We, we have time, but we simply need to manage it. And I understand that, that life is busy. Having a child has made us evaluate time differently. Because we're on a schedule, you, you have feeding and, and you have napping and you, you have all, all of these sorts of things and, and your, your day sort of revolves around a last, whatever, whatever his day he decides it's looking like, that tends to be what, what our day looks like. But our time spent with God, our time spent in this house, our time spent with our spiritual family, our time spent is, as, as, as Yusuf said, being that example, being devoted to him, it cannot waver. And this is just one area of our lives. I've, and listen, I understand. I've, I've had nine months of it. Some of you are saying here, wait till he starts crawling. You think you don't have time now. And, and I know it's all coming. I know. But what we need to prioritize is our time spent devoted to God and serving him. 
serving his kingdom. So the challenge that I leave you with here, parent or not, in, in this part, is what would it look like to give God more of your time? What do you need to sign up to? What do you need to, to, to give up that, that's outside of serving him? What do you need to become a part of? How can you give God your time? And do you understand that your time is his? Second, resources. 1 Corinthians 4 and 7 says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And sorry, if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And sometimes this word resources, that, that comes up and people get a bit nervous. It's like, oh, this is when the pastor starts asking for money. I'm not doing that. That's not what we're doing. This is just a reminder that nothing that we own is ours. He created the world and everything that fills it, even you and me, completely. There is nothing that we own apart from him. And churches like to talk about this word excellence and, and what that is, it's not having all of the best and, and the nicest things. It's doing well with what you have, with the little that God has given you. So what has God given you that you can use? C.S. Lewis said that every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. And I'm simply asking, how can you use what you have to glorify God? Can you open up your home? This is, this is a small list of examples here, but can you open up your home? Can you offer people, can, can you offer people lifts? Do, do you, can you feed or clothe people? Maybe, maybe you are in a position to be, to be generous with your time. Can you give people your time? I don't know what that looks like for you. But just know that whatever you have, God can use. He can use to his glory. And what a privilege it is that he, he gives us. And allows us to glorify him. The, the things that we have, our families and our households. I was chatting to somebody at the door this morning. And they were just saying like, ah, oh, so brilliant, you know, that these um, that, that are so good. We're passing the last round. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a choice. People just come and they grab him and, and he's fired about. But... I, do you know what I was saying to them? I, I feel that it's like, like, like our, our, our son has this ministry already. And that might seem strange to you, but you'll just notice him being passed around different people in the church. And it's like it's, like it's his job, it's his role within the family, because he's within the family. So, so he has a role too. And, and listen, right now, he can't crawl. He can do like a wee army thing. And that keeps us on our toes. But he, he can't move and, and he can't speak other than babas and gagas or whatever he's making. He, he can't do much. But he's passed around and it's like it's his job to help release those endorphins in your brain. And, just, and maybe just make your day that little bit better. 
And I hope that for somebody that's, that's been having a, a difficult season or maybe even just a difficult day or maybe you've just been a little bit tired, I hope that that, that little boy is just smiling your direction or that he's pulled your hair or that he's yanked your glasses off. I taught him to do that, by the way. <laughs> I hope that, that, that he has made your day that little bit brighter because this is what children do. And, and I know that sometimes we... we we joke about the loudness and the chaos, but they are gifts from God. And he can use them. And let's just ask ourselves, how can we use what we have to the glory of God? How can we use what we have to the glory of God? And finally, your devotion. It says, there, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, sometimes there's a difference between being in a place and being present in that place. Maybe you've just been coming along. Somebody's brought you and, and you like the vibe here, you like the people here, you do enjoy, there's something about that routine of going to church on a Sunday that, that, that you do enjoy and, and, it's, and you're seeing that it's, it's gradually making your life better and, and it's lifting your mood. It's more than that. It's supposed to be. Do you know that God has you here for a purpose? Do you know that he's given you Whoever or whatever it is that has got you here, that's got you in that seat, do you know he saw you? The individual in this room and out there in that community, in this city, in this land, he saw you and he made it possible that you be here. And it's more than just to be uplifted. It's more than just to improve your mood. It's more than just to put a good routine in place. Are you wholly devoted to him? What we encourage of you in this house, we, we love that you're here. And we want you to keep coming. But we encourage you, don't spectate participate understand what this is for understand what is being said to you use this house as a place of refuge if you need to give God the worship that he is due and know that he has given you everything that you need to glorify him give God your devotion and know that he devoted himself to you it says in Romans 5 and verse 6 you see at just the right time just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly he died for those who were separate from him who were separate from God. And, and that was all of us. That was all of us who didn't confess that we have sinned and confessed that we are in need of a saviour. We have sin that we need saving from. 
You aren't here by coincidence or by accident or just out of routine. It says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, For God says, at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. And today is the day of salvation. I don't know whether it's your first time. I don't know that if this has become a little routine for you. But what I do know is that God asks for your devotion. And, he, and it matters so much to him. That he gave his son to die on a cross for you. That he would have a relationship with you. So Christ came, the son of God. God, the creator and sustainer of all things. His son, Jesus, came to earth, lived an absolutely perfect life, knowing that we could never do that. And then he died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice. And on that cross, he took our sin and our shortcomings. And he died on that cross. And then he was buried in a tomb. And he died three days later. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And with that, what he offers you is resurrection. He offers you rising from the dead. What he offers you is a brand new life. A new life with him. He asks for your devotion. And I hope that you know that tonight, this, this has been a good time. It will continue to be a good time, but that's not all that it was meant to be. God has you here on purpose and for a purpose. And what we have afterward is people who are available to pray with you. you do you know that you need to be saved? We have been given a saviour. And I hope that tonight you make that decision. As you go out those doors, you'll see people available just on your left-hand side who would love to hear from you and pray with you. Please do not leave here without doing that. We encourage you, we urge you. That is the direction that God is taking you in and that's where you need to go. Allow me to pray as the worship team comes. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity, God, to be here, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that you have devoted yourself to us. And God, I pray for those of us who do not know you, who have not made that decision, Lord, would you help them? God, I pray that tonight you will have softened hearts. I pray that in this place, God, we would seek to know our heavenly Father. God, thank you that you know us as your children. I pray that those who have not yet accepted that title, that tonight they would. We commit all these things to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.